hey, I'm so glad you clicked on this video and you're hopefully going to spend some time with me. Uh, the title is going to be something like, uh, yes, the United Methodist Church is racist or something like that. And it's not clickbait. I really am going to make uh, a pretty hard ar argument in here with the help of uh, Odell Horn, who I've interviewed before. If you haven't seen that interview, Odell is just an amazingly intelligent person. Uh, I really enjoyed my time with him. I hope you'll go back after this and watch that uh, because I think Odell's perspective is really needed for the future of Methodism and just more broadly in the Western experiment if, if something like classical liberalism or Westernism is going to continue in the world, then I think we have to have his racial lens um, being used rather than a lot of other things that we're seeing today. Um, before I get into it, I just want to acknowledge, um, one, I'm a white guy, so I'm reading a, a, a black guy's article and trying to navigate a racial conversation, which is kind of fraught. Um, if you're conservative, I think a lot of conservatives are turned off by this at this point, and I, I think we really shouldn't be. You know, I want to be ministering to you in this time, kind of um, hopefully navigating these things well so that you feel like it's something that you can navigate well. I, I feel like a lot of conservative white folks realize that race is such a touchy thing nowadays that they just don't even want to try because people can get offended. And um, if, if that's what conservatives continue to do, then we're just going to continue to perpetuate the same frustrations uh, that we've seen for decades. Conservatives need to understand that our ideology is actually uniquely able to result in racial harmony and creating that colorblind future that um, progressivism cannot. Progressivism is, is um, built on the notion of racial essentialism and racial animosity and perpetual resentment. Conservatives uh, are the ones that have an ideology that makes room for racial healing, reconciliation, building a future together, and that's the project that I'm a part of and that I hope uh, conservatives that leave the United Methodist Church are a part of. You saw me try and um, advocate for this with my interview with Bishop Scott Jones, which I hope you've checked out. Um, it's something that I'm going to continue to articulate because if if what the GMC turns out being and the future Methodism turns out being is just continual grouping by affinity group, then you are going to continue to see racial separation, segregation, um, resentment and suspicion. I want nothing to do with any of that. I want an integrated future, not just ethnically, but culturally. And I think Odell Horn is, is one of those voices that has to be considered in creating that in the future. So I want to advocate that you uh, stick with me if you're conservative. If you're liberal and you're offended by the title, I hope you stick with me and you get more offended by Odell, and I hope that that offense causes you to look at things differently. That you know the the thing that makes us change is discomfort, and so I I think that the the task of pastors of Christians is to make society uncomfortable so that it makes those changes that need to get made. I've left the United Methodist Church, but I'm still deeply invested in the United Methodist Church making good decisions racially and otherwise for God's glory, I think it would be great if the UMC could have a sea change and honor 
black and African voices in a way that it has not managed to do so far. So I'm going to highlight the ways in which the United Methodist Church is racist, um, not to just uh, bash the UMC and go, oh, they're so awful. Um, It's more so that um, leading voices can understand where the problems are, where the misconceptions are, and correct course. So hopefully I've set that up well. Um, Just a couple other things to know. I'm not sure Odell Horn agrees with everything that I say, so I don't want to create what could be a false impression that just because I like Odell doesn't mean that he likes everything that I say. So I'm going to read his article, but I don't want to infer that everything I say would be a reflection of something that he would say. So I hope Odell doesn't take offense to my using his name in his article in this capacity. I hope it actually benefits him um, and complements what he is about. I also want to recognize white people left, right, and center have a way of using black voices to justify themselves and not reflect critically on themselves. So as big a problem as he has with liberals um, using black bodies and voices for their own selfish goals, I'm certain he would also take issue, not just Odell, all black people would rightfully take great issue with a white guy saying, well, this black guy agrees with me, so I'm going to elevate him and, and use him as a tool uh, that that's not what I am to do here. I I, I identify with Odell, and uh, Odell doesn't uh, identify as a, a black conservative, I don't think. But there are black conservatives like Glenn Lowry that uh, I really appreciate what they have to say because they're made in God's image. They believe in, in a notion of truth and that there's a right way forward that uh, can look like racial reconciliation and harmony. So that's why I like those voices. But I, I don't at any point want to objectify Odell Horn or black people or Africans saying, well, you know, um, I'm just going to use them because uh, they, they, they suit my purposes. That's just not a right way to be in relationship. So if there are any other disclaimers, I'm forgetting them. I want to go ahead and get into this article. This article is called um, Decentering Whiteness in Methodism. So it was written just last month, and to my great surprise, it was published by uh, Ministry Matters, which is routinely liberal. Um, I'm appalled with a lot of their articles. I think most of their authors are borderline brain dead, to be honest with you. I I don't cover them because (laughs) I just get frustrated and mad. To their credit, they picked up Odell. I don't know if it's out of, like, white shame or something, but I'm so glad that they did. Um, Let's look at it. Uh, Dear United Methodists, after three resolutions passed at every jurisdictional conference last November, it's time to talk about decentering whiteness in our theology and biblical interpretation. What he's referring to, if you're not aware of it, is all the jurisdictional conferences in the U.S. got together earlier this year and passed three resolutions that are all three marking a huge sea change in the denomination with a progressive takeover. so if you, if you haven't seen them, I, I break down each one and how it is that um, both overtly and um, under the surface they are claiming victory for progressivism. So feel free to check those out if you don't know what that's about. In my former article, Theophilus, if you don't know that reference, he's referring to um, Acts chapter, uh, or uh, Acts is written in the beginning. Why isn't it pulling this up? He... Uh, 
an apology to majority world Methodists. That's his previous article, and oh boy, is it a good one. So you should check that out. I'll I'll include the link in the show notes here, or you can just uh, check out his article. Anyway, the the Theophilus reference is um, um, the at the beginning of Acts. He's he's being kind of funny here. Something else I forgot to say at the beginning here with this article is. It's a, it's a work of art, not just in what he says, but in all the different links that he has, and I'm not going to click on every single link. I'll, I'll click on a few, but I, I want to urge you to go and read this yourself and then go click on the various links because he is equipping the reader to actually know what they're talking about. He, he doesn't just infer you're wrong. He tells you why you're wrong, and he links to articles that can spell out very specifically why you're wrong. Uh, so you should do that on your own time. It would take us hours if we did that here. All right, let's get back into it. In my former article, Theophilus, I wrote about how liberal and progressive theological perspectives are inherently anti-African. Now I see that there is an attempt to establish a U.S. regional conference using similar contextualization arguments that the Southern Methodists made in establishing the jurisdictional system, which amounts to global segregation. This system, if approved at the next general conference, is nothing more than a Trojan horse in that it will assure American Methodists will never be under the leadership of the African church unless it is on their own terms. And those terms include LGBTQIA plus inclusion, even though the 2019 special session of the general conference was supposed to resolve the impasse on this matter. But since some Americans did not get their way, the battle continues. So what, you know, he's, he's speaking very clearly. I don't, uh, but if you don't know what's at stake here, there's something called the Christmas Covenant, which was supposedly authored by people outside of the United States of other ethnic groups that is proposing a regionalization plan, which is essentially segregation here, global segregation, where Americans will never be under the leadership of non-Americans. That is what's being proposed at the next general conference, which has the full support of the connectional table and um, uh, the standing committee on central, central conference matters. All the people at the height, uh, heights of the denomination are recommending this because they are under the sway of Western elite white power. That's what he's highlighting here. These are going to be brought to the general conference ostensibly to give more autonomy to the central conferences, but realistically to remove America from accountability to those um, other areas. Uh, It is racist. He doesn't say that in this. He stays away from just name-calling, but if you are so... If you're going to use your status and wealth and your ethno-normative practices to maintain your comfort and exclude voices from criticism and influence, well, it's at least classist, okay? So racist implies that skin color or ethnicity plays a role in that decision. You know, it, it, that's that's the way in which uh, liberals often bandy about the word racism when usually it's it's classism. Here, you know, it, it really does seem to be, I don't know, it's hard to say how much race or ethnicity figures into this Western elite self-righteousness that wants to remove themselves from being vulnerable to non-white persons around the world, but it sure looks like racism. How about that? Um, in my, oh, no, 
let's go down a paragraph. United Methodists in the United States of America learned a Western epistemology at the higher educational institutions that they attended, and many American Methodists believe that white is right, and therein lies the problem. You'll see epistemology is uh, a link you can uh, click on there. Epistemology is just how we know what we know, why we think what we think, how we think, and white is right is the epistemology of the West that he's highlighting. What some of my fellow American Methodists have failed to realize is that their perspective is a nationalist one. So as we're talking about white nationalism, a lot of people on the left are decrying it. They don't realize that their epistemology is essentially uh, authentically nationalist, is what he's saying. So that's a real zinger there. Um, they're operating as though the United Methodist Church is still a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant denomination with international members in Africa, Asia, and Europe, instead of it being the global church that it already is. Some American Methodists effectively see the UMC as a multi multinational corporation with its headquarters in the United States, and thus the decisions of the church should be made by Americans. There are a lot of people who, on the left, I've heard say flat out in a straight face, we're the ones paying the money, we're the ones who've designed and maintained all these systems, we should have a majority voice. It's ridiculous. African and Asian Methodists generally subscribe to an Eastern epistemology. So what's the difference? In the East, theology and biblical interpretation are done in community, not individually, as is often the focus in the West. While there were some factions in the early church, Arianism, Donatism, Manichaeism, Marcionism, he has links to all four of those. If you don't know what they are, you, you should check it out. You should know this history. Most disputes in the East were brought before a council. Africans, Asians, and Europeans had a much more equitable relationship in these councils, even though the center of power eventually became the Bishop of Rome. In other words, North Africans and Western Asians had much more influence in the ecumenical councils and of Christianity as a whole prior to the Arab-Muslim conquests of the 7th century. So he's, he's highlighting that Christianity is not a white people religion. Yes, it did migrate west, and Christianity and the Roman Catholic tradition really did take off in a way that influenced America greatly. However, it is fundamentally wrong to think of Christianity as a white religion, whether you're talking about the beginning, middle, or end of our history. It it has been filled and influenced by and led by people of color the whole time. So this, this notion that we exported this white religion to black areas and they're now colonized, he's going to talk about this, is, is fundamentally wrong in its historical basis. It is, it is an ignorant approach to understanding Christianity. Here, uh, this section is called Centering Whiteness. Here is the Centering Whiteness game plan. Discredit the African and Asian theologians and biblical scholars of the early church by using a hermeneutic of suspicion, he defines that if you click on that link, and promote the European theologians of the Protestant Reformation, particularly the 19th century German theologians. Methodist seminaries have been centering whiteness by teaching God, Jesus, and science as the Holy Trinity, often to the near total exclusion of the Holy Spirit. So he's he's saying exactly what the game plan is, and he's totally right about the rise of scientism and the worship of science. 
the thing that I would uh, highlight that I, I don't, I might know a little bit more about it at this point than he, but he might have checked it out. James Lindsay has been, I've been listening to lectures he's done on the German thought that influenced um, the hermeneutic of suspicion and historical biblical interpretation and all this. A lot of it's based in hermeticism and mystic thought that is not Christian in orientation. And in fact, a lot of these theologians that created modern Western liberal theology, they used Christian terminology, but are much more informed by esoteric religion, non-Christian religion. They considered themselves something like Gnostic wizards, okay? And so that's the foundational basis of Western liberal theology that was used um, to, to... to end, essentially, any kind of respectable notion of orthodoxy in the West. Liberalism uh, kind of scoffed at that and looked down on that and supplanted that, and what's been going on ever since is kind of a battle between liberalism, that is uh, uh, esoteric religion, versus orthodoxy, which uh, is rightly associated with black and brown and Asian people around the world, which is what Odell is highlighting here. Among American Methodists, the knowledge of African contributions to Christian theology and antiquity is limited to the Gnostic Gospels. Very few know that a black dwarf named Athanasius was exiled numerous times for defending orthodoxy, or that the canon of the New Testament was established at the Council of Carthage in North Africa. There is also a false equivalency drawn between orthodoxy and power. Arian bishops rose to power in Alexandria even after they were defeated by Orthodox believers in the Council of Nicaea, and it is believed that Emperor Constantine himself subscribed to Arian Christianity and not Orthodoxy. I'm not sure I 100% track with what Odell is saying here, but I think one of the the postmodern liberal progressive critiques of ancient Orthodox theology is a presupposition that those who carried the day were the ones with worldly power, and that Orthodox theology, as we think of it, is an expression of like patriarchy and the bad guys like claiming the pure faith of Jesus Christ. And what he highlights there is worldly uh, powers were often on the wrong side that did not prevail in the end, such as the case of Arianism, and also that a little dwarf like Athanasius was able to carry the day despite his low status um, and the fact that he, he, he went through a really hard time. When you study Christian history, if you interpret it as the rise of like patriarchy and power, you're, you're doing it wrong. That that it that is fundamentally not the story of Christianity at all. So to to disregard ancient theology because it was based in patriarchy and power is just wrong. It's fundamentally wrong. You can't justify that and maintain any sense of integrity or faith faithfulness to reality. But there is yet another problem. John Wesley read and wrote about the African and Asian theologians of the early church. Some of the tenets of Wesleyan theology are rooted in the writings of Athanasius and the Cappadocian fathers, like our beloved doctrine of Christian perfection. That's theosis. That's an Eastern Orthodox uh, theological formulation made by not white people. Furthermore, John Wesley did not subscribe to the historical criticism of Dutch philosopher theologians like Erasmus and Baruch Spinoza. So if you've been thinking that John Wesley 
wasn't a liberal because liberals weren't around back then. They were. These were modes of thinking that were available in John Wesley's day that he rejected. He found them to be unfaithful and unhelpful. How do many United Methodist theologians square this information with the Western Eurocentric promotion of historical criticism? Well, they simply don't. They choose instead to promote liberation theology, a reaction to historical criticism, yet still strangely dependent upon it. Very much like postmodernity and modernity. Postmodernity is supposed to be a rejection of it, but it's built on it entirely. Uh, that's just my, I shouldn't have hopped in with that. Um, in addition to historical criticism. While liberation theology seems noble in its attempts to promote marginalized voices in the field, it is also critical of orthodoxy, which is code for the African and Asian church fathers, and is thus dependent upon Western Eurocentricism to exist. Cecil Cohn addressed this paradox in his book, Identity Crisis in Black Theology. I don't think I need to belabor that point. Now that many churches have disaffiliated and some have joined the global Methodist church, it is time for us to deal with white liberal racism. You'll note there that there is a link for you to check out there. I highly recommend that you click that link and check it out. This is not some polemic, um, some hyperbolic accusation. This is a real phenomenon, white liberal racism, um, that is very problematic. If you are a liberal and you don't know what I'm talking about, that article will show it to you. It was written 13 years ago by—it's uh, a very helpful article. There's no way we had time for it, uh, but check it out. While the General Commission on Religion and Race is to be commended for broaching the subject of progressive racism by interviewing Robin DeAngelo on her new book, Nice Racism, How Progressive White People Perpetuate Racial Harm, they did not go far enough to address the topic of inherent racism that exists in the theological curricula of the United Methodist Seminaries. How else could one ignore all of the statistical data available about same-sex marriage around the world and come to the conclusion that resisting harm means ignoring the teaching of Jesus on marriage? By centering whiteness in theological education, that's how. In other words, by teaching modern theology, read Western European as normative while critiquing orthodoxy, African, Asian, uh, Eastern European. So he's, he's saying that, that what the United Methodist Church, I think what he's saying is what the UMC leadership does is they um, happily receive some stuff about white guilt or you know um, internalized white shame or stuff like that as long as it doesn't require them to actually change anything. But when it gets practical, like looking at the ideological presuppositions of all of our seminaries that we spend millions of dollars, send millions of dollars to every year, they don't look at that. So it's real easy to virtue signal and give somebody a voice who just gives a little bit of shame, but it is much more difficult to actually do something about it. The institution, not only does the institution not do anything about it, but they still actively perpetuate centered whiteness in the denomination, privileging white Western voices and persons over uh, non-American ones. Colonized mentality and human sexuality. Okay, uh, recently, the United Methodist Africa Forum was developed as a reaction to the work of the Africa Initiative, which is influenced by the Wesleyan Covenant Association. So I'm gonna disagree with Odell on the way he frames this here. Um, firstly, 
well, and this might be a more fundamental disagreement. I believe that white folks and black folks can work together without, well, and he corrects this later. I, I don't think there has to be an, an inference, an insinuation that that black people only believe what they're believing or say what they're saying because they're partnered with white people who say that and the white people have the money. I think that's really insulting and borderline racist as well. Um, from what I can see, I've looked at the people with the United Methodist Africa Forum, and there's a lot of overlap with the Christmas Covenant, and those are the authors that are coming up with this global segregation plan. So I, I think the Africa Initiative actually was a good reflection of the African voice. If you haven't seen it, I interviewed Jerry Kula and Simon Mafunda. These guys were tied to it. Uh, what the West did was the West came in with some Trojan horses and broke apart the unity they had in Africa so that they would be splintered. And so now a lot of voices have been elevated in Africa that make character assassination against Jerry Kula and other leadership I think it's really unfortunate what's happened. I I don't think the UMAF was necessary. Rather, I would have Africans come back together around the African initiative. Maybe there's stuff I don't know around that, but I tried pretty hard to understand it. Anyway, let's let's get back to what Odell says about the UMAF. While it's devoted to remaining a part of the UMC, they have denounced gay rights as incompatible with Christian teaching, which is what the African bishops stated in their letter to the UMC in 2015. So if you don't know that history, you need to, to check that out. Some American Methodists believe that their own view on same-sex marriage is rooted in Christian love and that the African delegates were influenced by the WCA to vote for the traditional plan. Undergirding the African delegates' votes are the colonial laws against homosexuality that the Europeans introduced after the scramble for America. You'll notice that's highlighted. That's an article you can uh, click on very interesting history. If you don't know it, you should you should check it out. Some Americans claim African-American scholars have documented the proof of same-sex relationships in pre-colonial Africa. So he's acknowledging um, some of what liberals call upon. However, one cannot help but notice the silence on the colonial laws against the more common practice of polygamy. That's when you have more than one spouse. Listening to Americans tell the story today, homosexuality was rampant across the African continent prior to the colonial period, and polygamy was not that bad. Many of my American friends would be shocked to learn that researchers have discovered places on the African continent where homosexuality is not practiced. If you go to that link, it talks about some relatively untouched African tribes that not only do they not have sex with people of the same sex, they don't even masturbate because the sexual act as in most pre-modern places, is associated with reproduction. And until five minutes ago, we all knew that that could only take place with a man and a woman. So uh, it's, it's not col just colonized areas that have a problem with homosexuality. It's a lot of places where the natural order hasn't been interrupted by synthetic Western norms. So uh, click on that article at the bottom of the, the paragraph. But... Um, Oh, I don't know. If I, oh, the polygamy angle. Yeah, a lot of people in the liberal church are going to be silent on polygamy because they know that's one of the areas that is uh, shifting in the American church as well. Polyamory and polygamy are growing in common practice in America, and so they um, it, it's like the pederasty thing, peder, pedophilia. It's definitely growing. It's definitely in some areas growing more 
normalized and they're trying to make it not as big of a deal. But if you talk about that, then a lot of people are going to instinctively know, oh, this is sinful and awful and evil. We can't allow this. So they just don't talk about it. So they'll talk about homosexuality in Africa. They won't talk about polygamy because they realize um, it will expose them. All right, according to the Human Rights Campaign, same-sex marriage is legal in just 34 countries around the world, only 34, and the overwhelming majority populations of these countries are European or descendants of Europeans. In other words, black and brown countries around the world have largely rejected same-sex marriage. This opposition has even been realized on the floor of General Assembly of the United Nations, where the Western understanding of marriage has been rejected by the East repeatedly. I've been welcomed into a few WhatsApp groups uh, that deal with uh, Western uh, or African people speaking to each other, and they're very aware of Western money, Western political influence trying to export our sexual ethic to them. There are a lot of levers dealing with power and money that are contingent upon them liberalizing their sexuality positions, not just within churches, but within government institutions across the world, and the world is resoundingly saying, no, y'all need to stop this. We're not interested in this. This is a, a, a Trojan horse that is being used for that purpose. Um, so th this is something that Westerners don't see because we're so close to it. We're swimming in it. When you stand on the outside, you see the overt worldly power used in this way, and that's why they so easily reject that within the United Methodist Church because it's so clearly an imposition of the world onto the church. Ibu Patel, a young interfaith leader, cautioned the UMC in its response to the decision that was made at the special session of the General Conference in an article in Inside Higher Ed. Patel challenges the UMC to, quote, explain the reason that the overwhelming number of African and Asian delegates voted against LGBTQ inclusion without resorting to racist and colonialist tropes, by which I mean things like they were duped into this by white people because it denies people agency, or just wait 50 years and their views will be inclusive like ours because it assumes Western ways are the end of history and the zenith of civilization. I heard some of the general conference delegates use these exact words. Unfortunately, these delegates are not degreed in African or Asian studies, and they have an assumption that Africans in particular have a colonized mentality. However, the American Methodist understanding of resistance and rebellion of, that, of the anti-colonial music <laughs> movement in Africa is deficient at best. You'll see he has links there. There's a lot of history white Westerners don't know. Um, we look at um, Africans as these like passive helpless, hapless morons that didn't stand up for themselves, that, that is not the case. And so he links to a number of historical evidences that the Africans have had agency all along, not that everything has gone perfectly, but that they are participants in their own destiny and development. So if, if your understanding of Africans depends upon them not having agency, then that's racist. <laughs> because we acknowledge white people have agency why don't black and brown and Asian people have agency? Uh, additionally, the research on the growth of Christianity in Africa shows that is a, it is a post-colonial phenomenon. I'm going to say that again. The research on the growth of Christianity in Africa shows that it is a post-colonial 
phenomenon. So the growth of Christianity is not because of colonialism. It is going on its own steam, on its own energy right now, uh, exploding leaps and bounds. And to say that it is an extension of white Western colonialism is uh, just wrong. You're just wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. Uh, Lam and Senna and David Barrett have also articulated that Christianity grew rapidly across the African continent after the Wars of Independence in the 1960s, which runs counter to the American and European missionary na narratives. John Mabiti's research shows that Africans indigenized Christianity upon receiving it. Make no mistake about it, those who subscribe to the tenets of European Enlightenment influence theology on African Christianity, including the historical critical method, they are the ones with a colonized mentality. Man, that's a zinger. I wish he'd found a, a more concise way to say it. But if you're going to try and figure out which ideologies are colonizing the African continent, they are not the white uh, uh, missionaries of 100, 150 years ago. They are the, the postmodern, gender-critical uh, theory uh, voices that are going in right now. And thank God they haven't seen much success so far, but if you're saying, yeah, there's there's this accusation. I just did a, an interview with a, uh, a lady named Mal Her, who says that, um, you know, she is uh, of the Hmong ethnicity. She has been accused of having a colonialized mindset, colonial, colonial mentality. And uh, when you make that accusation, I think some people actually know that that's a lie, but I think a lot of people actually think that that's true and that's because you don't know what you're talking about. I don't think it's really helpful for Odell to say, these people don't have degrees. I don't think you have to have a degree to know what you're talking about. These are just people who just tritely regurgitate their talking points of their, their partisan hack talking hits. So if you want to actually know what you're talking about, you need to understand that Africans have agency. And yes, they received the gospel from missionaries. However, what they did at that point is what every other people group across the history of time has done, and they contextualized it with their own cultural understandings, and they made it theirs because it is a universal story that appeals to all people because it's fundamentally and universally true. It doesn't belong to any one race. To say that this is a white religion that we exported to people is just so wrong historically and fundamentally. You should be embarrassed if you believe that. That's racist. If you believe that, you're, you might not be racist, but you're a moron. Uh, the historical record shows that the Christian kingdom of Congo was established before Christian, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, thus dispelling the myth that Christianity was established in sub-Saharan Africa during the slavery and colonial periods. And there's research to support Christianity in Nubia, which is modern-day Sudan, during the time during uh, same time period. Research is being done on the works of Muslim scholar Ibn al-Dawadari by Fuller Theological Seminary's Vance Bantu, who puts Christianity in Mali in the 1300s, and Harvard University's Suzanne Preston Blyer has also documented Christianity in Nigeria before 1492. This all just kind of like the nail in the coffin. This is not a white religion. It's just silly to imagine that it is. More importantly, please understand that the black church is not with you. He's talking to liberals here. We will not be used as pawns in your battle against white conservatives, as the late Reverend Calvin Butts has previously stated. I didn't realize he died. I've read this four times. I didn't realize he wrote late there. Uh, okay, so yeah, they're not pawns. And we reject 
your Western Eurocentric interpretation of Scripture, including on marriage. Most in the black church interpret the Scriptures in the same manner that Harriet Tubman read the Exodus narrative when she crossed rivers to freedom, literally and spiritually, just like the ancient Egyptians read the Scriptures at the School of Alexandria. Additionally, if you don't know, that's uh, on the African continent. Additionally, most African-American Christians who are politically liberal yet socially conservative came to the same conclusion that the African delegates did at the 2019 special session of the General Conference. So uh, I, I think he's been very clear. I don't need to, to break his words down. Finally, it is worth noting that Christianity is an Eastern religion founded by a Semitic Jew in the Roman territory of Galilee in the first century of the Common Era and that there are no Americans in the Scripture. I would recommend that every United Methodist, indeed all Christians, read the book Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes to gain a better understanding of how centering whiteness corrupts our theology and interpretation of the Holy Scriptures even still. I, I don't know that Horn could be any more clear than he's been here. I don't think there is anywhere to stand and argue against him, although I'm very interested to see if anybody tries. I, I did go down to the comments here. Um, for just a little more texture, this guy, The Enemy Hates Clarity, says, in addition to everything stated here, 56% of the delegates to General Conference 2024, it's actually 2020, whatever, uh, are from the U.S. where the church is 92-plus percent white. Only 32% are from Africa where the church is 100% black. This is despite the fact that over 50% of the UMC membership is from Africa. It is inescapable that the UMC has institutionalized racism in order to protect the interests of the mostly white American ruling class. I find that a very helpful and enlightening comment. Yeah, the representative structure of the next general conference next year woefully under-apportions African representation to the general conference. That is about as close to racism as you can get. That is an institutional racist system where uh, black voices are being underrepresented because white, rich, Western American elites do not want to be influenced by them. That is unjustifiable. There is no room to stand on and say... You cannot say you're not a racist and do that. That's why this man, I'm going to, I might post it later. Uh, Thomas Bickerton, president of the Council of Bishops, just put out a silly, silly uh, video saying that they're going to end discrimination in the church. He is saying that he's going to end racism in the church. Uh, they're doing this while perpetuating overt racism. You can't get any, it's so overtly stupid. It's, it's racist and stupid to continue promoting this system that the United Methodist Church has created and then wave the banner of, we're against racism. Like, you don't look at people, you know, there's what people say and then there's what people do, and you look at what they do. What they, they say all the right things. They virtue signal just fine, but they're perpetuating uh, a class system, a segregation and, and they're actively promoting legislation. When they get together next year, they're going to be promoting a global segregation system. It's, it's just scandalous that, that these um, charlatans— I'm going to use the word charlatan. If you claim that you follow Jesus and you perpetuate racism, I would say that you're, you're worshiping a different Jesus than I am. You're worshiping— 
<laughs> I don't know. I, I don't need to do any more attack. It, it, it frustrates me that people lack the discernment to see that those decrying racism the most are the racists in every identifiable sense. So anyway, I, I hope this has been, I need to, I need to wrap up. I, I'm just going to amp up more from here. So I just need to cut it off. I would urge you to go read the article on your own. I would urge you to go click the links, read the materials Odell has set forward and do your part, whether you're staying in the United Methodist Church or going global Methodist or going another route, do your part to, uh, uh, decenter whiteness. You know, I'm not against whiteness. I'm not. I I am white. I don't hate myself. I don't love myself because I'm white. I see ethnicity as irrelevant in the question of uh, whether or not you have a right relationship with Christ Jesus. And I think that when you have right relationship with Christ Jesus, that actually breaks down the barriers between different people groups on earth, such that they become irrelevant. I'm talking about people groups based on ethnicity and culture. Those are things that have no rightful place in the kingdom, and they have no rightful place in the church, and it's high time that we bring an end to it. So I hope you're part of that project with me. I'll, uh, I'll see you later. Thanks for watching.